The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture is from John 8, verses 12 through 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness, excuse me, <laughs> you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, Many believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Kresnick. I have the pleasure of serving Cormdale Church on staff as a deacon over worship and creative media. And I'm happy to uh, be up here preaching from John chapter 8 this morning. Um, as you're aware of, today is November 7th. It's officially the end of daylight savings time, and from here on out, the days get darker, 
the days get colder. And although these are things happening uh, that we're experiencing mainly in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, they are figuratively reminding us of the dark, chilly world that we are living in. They remind us of our needs for life and warmth and guidance. And Jesus has a word for us this morning. Whether we're in the Northern Hemisphere or the Southern Hemisphere, Jesus says to you this morning, I am the light of the world. And in the book of John, there are seven I am statements. We've heard one a few weeks ago where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we are hearing this morning, I am the light of the world. And there are five more to go. Uh, The truth for most of us is that we live within city limits. And so it's normal for us to experience public lighting during the nighttime. We have street lights and lights on our cars, and we see these awesome LED light designs put into the architecture of buildings. But first century Jerusalem did not have any of this. Other than oil lamps or candles, nighttime was pretty dark. But during the Feast of Booze, where this text takes place, uh, during the fall time, during the harvest time, every year priests would set up giant, four giant candelabras in the temple, uh, each of them having four giant golden bowls full of oil. And they would light these and they would stay illuminated during the whole week-long feast. Rabbis would often say that there, weren't, uh, uh, there wasn't a yard or a house that did not reflect the light that was being emitted from the temple yard. To see the city of Jerusalem lit up like this at night must have been an awesome, special sight to see. And during the Feast of Booths, this week-long festival, it was a time that was sacred for God's people because they would celebrate and remember what God had done during the Exodus, during the wilderness wanderings as they entered into the Promised Land. God commanded his people in Leviticus 23 to celebrate the Feast of Booths, to celebrate it for seven days, so that, in verse 43, your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. If we fast forward through the Old Testament to the book of Zechariah, the prophet shows us that the Feast of Booths also looked forward to the day of the Lord when he would come and dwell with his people. Zechariah 14, verse 6, On the day of the Lord there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. This festival looked forward to the day when the Lord would come and be an everlasting light, which the darkness of night could never overcome. So we find ourselves in Jesus' day here in John 8, with all of the celebrations wrapping up, the psalm singing and the dancing and the feasting finished. We can imagine Jesus standing up in the temple, looking at the candelabras and saying, I am the light of the world. And so as the priests lit those four candelabras, I too want to highlight four ways in which Jesus is the light to the world. First, As the light of the world, Jesus illuminates truth. 
Jesus illuminates the Father, he illuminates the human condition, and he illuminates the way to live. So first, let's look at how Jesus illuminates truth, and let's look at verse 12 together. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Notice the accusation that they are making against Jesus in verse 13. Your testimony is not true. Jesus' disagreement with the Pharisees is a disagreement over what is true. Much like the arguments and debates that we have today, right? What's true about COVID? What's true about climate change? What's true about gender or religion or ultimate reality? And how can we know what's true if everyone else has their own interpretation of what is truth? You've heard the story of the six blind men and the elephant, right? Yeah? I'm going to tell it to you anyways, whether you know it or not. Uh, we have these six blind men who find an elephant, but they don't know they found an elephant because they're blind. First man walks into the elephant and thinks he's found a wall. The other blind man reaches out and touches the tusk of the elephant and thinks he's found a spear. The third one holds the elephant's trunk and thinks he's holding a snake. The fourth man finds the elephant's leg and thinks he's touching a tree. The fifth man feels the breeze from a fan, but it's the elephant's ear, while the last one grabs onto the tail of the elephant and thinks he's found a rope. The point of the story is that none of the blind men knew the truth about the elephant. Their ability to know was limited by their ability to see rightly. Friends, we too are limited. We too are finite in flawed human beings. We cannot possibly know all that there is to know. And so unless there's some standard of truth outside of us, some objective reality beyond us, we cannot possibly know anything to be true. But Jesus illuminates the truth. How? Because he alone comes from the Father, and that makes Jesus God. And if there is a God, doesn't it make sense that God sees reality more clearly than we do? His, his, pers per his perspective is bigger and more vast than ours. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Isaiah 55. And specifically in verses 8 and 9, here's what the Lord says to his people. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus says, my testimony is true because of where he comes from. 
And because of who sent him, the Father sent him. Jesus illuminates truth because he has God's view of things. No wonder he's the light of the world. We're all walking around in darkness down here. We need the light, light from a source other than ourselves. Jesus illuminated truth for us. John 14, 6 tells us, I, Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth embodied, living, breathing truth. And we can trust him because he is not self-serving. His truth is not self-serving. Often when we're seeking truth, we want to know what's right so that we can prove somebody else wrong or that we can prove that we, we have a secret behind uh, s- some evidence that nobody else knows. You guys remember the magic eight balls, right? You'd shake them up, ask it a question, and let it reveal the truth about something to you. I was often asking it, like, would I ever be six feet tall? Will Jenny from homeschool group want to marry me someday? Will the Huskers ever be relevant again? I wasn't asking that question as a kid. I'm asking that question now. But I believe that Jesus is revealing a deeper truth. He's answering deeper questions than the ones that we kind of hold on the surface. And what I believe Jesus is shedding light on is this deeper hunger, this deeper desire that I believe we all have, and that we all want to know that we have a Father who loves us. Which moves us to our second point. Jesus illuminates the Father. Read verse 19 with me. Jesus is telling the Pharisees that he bears witness about himself and the Father bears witness about him. And they respond to him asking, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father. When Jesus says this, if you knew me, you would know my Father, do you hear what he is saying? He's saying that it's only through him, it's only through Jesus that we can know God, the Father. Jesus is illuminating the Father for us. This is the thing I I, I believe we all have longed for, the unconditional presence and love and affirmation of a Father. Some of us have had good fathers, though imperfectly they've modeled these things for us, but there's a lot of us who haven't had good earthly fathers. Our experience of them has been poor. Mike Wilkerson puts it this way. He says, Tragically, for many of us, the father-child relationship is fraught with fear, shame, dread, disappointment, or absence. For some of us, the word father has been darkened by the worst evils. Some of you hear the phrase, God the Father, or God is your heavenly Father, and you can't help but see him through the lens of your earthly father, and that puts some distance between you and the Father. But friends, Jesus is the light of the world, and he is illuminating a heavenly Father to us. And it's God's heart for us to know him as father and to have his fatherhood redeem all of those broken places in our stories. All of those places where our earthly fathers have hurt us or left us or wounded us. 
Look at these themes of light and fatherhood, how John connects them together for us in John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive them, who, who received him, who believed in his name, get this, he gave the right to become children of God. When you believe in Jesus, you become a child of God. You get a perfect, loving, present, affirming Father in heaven. And when you have placed your trust in Jesus and you have been baptized, you are in Christ Jesus. You are united with him in his baptism in such a way that God the Father sends his Holy Spirit upon you to be present with you, just like God the Father is present with Jesus. God the Father speaks his words of love and affirmation to you, just like he did to Jesus as Jesus was coming out of the waters. To God the Father, you are beloved. You are treasured, and the Father is pleased with you, just like he loves and is pleased with Jesus. And for those of you who haven't placed your trust in Jesus, God the Father is inviting you into his family. Trusting Jesus isn't about joining a religion or joining a church. It's about joining a family. It's about knowing and experiencing the love of the perfect father you've always longed for. John 8 is showing us how Jesus illuminates truth. It's showing us how he illuminates the father. And thirdly, it's showing us how Jesus illuminates the human condition. All of us can look out into the world and see how things have gone completely wrong. We see it in how the nations rage against nations and how we see injustice towards the poor and the weak. There's a darkness to the internet and how it is used and how social media affects children and teenagers emotionally and mentally, even us adults the same as well. Um, we see it in creation, groaning and heaving with changing weather patterns and volcanoes erupting and forests burning. And we all want to point out the problem and point out the fixes and how, how we think we all can figure this out. But it's important to realize that the brokenness that we see out there in the world is the same brokenness that resides in us. It's the same brokenness that resides in every living, breathing human being. Jesus in the scriptures calls the problem we see in the world and in ourselves, sin. Sin isn't just another word for breaking God's rules. Sin is the root. It's, it's the foundation of all the brokenness and disease and despair that we experience in the world and in our lives. Jesus says in 8, John 8, 24, For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I remember feeling this, this in a weighty way when I was disciplining one of my sons. He was six or seven at the time, and he was remorseful as we talked about how disobedience is sin against God and how, how our sin breaks God's heart. And through tears and desperation of his own, he cried, Dad, I can't fix this on my own. I can't, 
I can't take away this sin. I can't stop sinning. He was articulating the hopelessness of the human condition. And it created an opportunity for me, for me to share the gospel with him, to, to share the hope of Jesus and placing our trust in Jesus. Friends, this is humanity's only hope. To be, be, to be delivered from the darkness of our sinful human condition, we must place our hope and our trust in Jesus. For he says in verse 24, believe that I am he. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He is God. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. Jesus illuminates the human condition and he shows us that he's the fix to the problem of sin. How can Jesus be the fix? How can he be the solution to sin? Jesus, or the Apostle John, tells us later in 1 John 3, 5, about Jesus. He says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Jesus, God's son, was the perfect sinless human. Because Jesus was God, and only he can heal the brokenness in the world and in our souls. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world. He illuminates truth. He illuminates the Father. He illuminates the human condition. And finally, he illuminates the way to live. Look back again at verse 12 where Jesus says, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's a terrible misunderstanding that's crept into American Christianity, and it's this. What matters is right belief. Jesus has come to help us believe the right things. And I hope you can see that even in this passage, John 8, belief, belief absolutely matters. Knowing uh, where we are staking our life, that matters. What we count as true matters. But friends, Jesus didn't come merely to change your beliefs or change your mind. Jesus came to change your life. He offers you a way. He offers you a path. He calls you to follow him on that way. True Christianity is not seen in what you believe merely with your mind, but how you live. Isn't it true that every one of you knows someone who claims the truth of Christianity, but lives completely different? They're not following Jesus with your life with their life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. Walk in this light. And it's, it's such a beautiful invitation because all of us need a path to follow. We all need to know how we should live. What kinds of things should we pursue? What kinds of things should we avoid? What's, what's right? What's wrong? What's good? What's bad? These are all essential questions that we are asking. Every human being is on a path. Every human being is walking in some way. And Jesus has come to say, I'm going to show you the way. I want to give you a path to walk in. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, there, you will not walk in darkness. One of my favorite memories growing up was going camping as a family. Um, I'm realizing that as I go camping now with my family, that my father was a pioneer in glamping. Taking the glamorous life of uh, electricity, 
and taking the life of camping and bringing those two things together. Uh, when we would go camping, he would go find a camping spot that had, an, that had electrical outlets. Um, so, you know, we'd plug in the pancake griddle and things like that. But his main focus was to plug in the box fan. Because camping in Nebraska in the summer is miserable. It's hot and humid. So why wouldn't you bring a box fan? And those of you who know me, that has shaped me profoundly. Because I bring a box fan a lot of the places where I go. Um, but he would also look for campsites with modern bathrooms. So running water, running toilets, shower sinks, the whole nine yards. Um, we, we strive for comfort when we went camping. Um, and at night, I remember this one specific camping trip. Our campsite was here, and about 100 yards away was the bathroom. And uh, in between was this vast valley of darkness. And I, as a little kid, uh, that was scary. And so I'd ask my dad, Dad, can you walk me to the bathroom? And so he would. He'd grab a flashlight, and we'd go. And on the way back, he would show me the way back. And we'd follow the hum of the box fan. We found our way back to the campsite. Similarly, Jesus does not tell you to figure out the Christian life on your own, but rather Jesus comes and is with you so that we can follow him out of darkness and into his light. Now, I want to draw your attention to verse 29 where Jesus says, And he, the Father who sent me, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. How can we follow Jesus in this? Always doing the things that please the Father. As a person who's always aware of what I'm doing wrong and how I'm not always doing the right things, this verse is troubling to me. But John Calvin helps us understand what Jesus meant by the word always. Listen, this is what Jesus means by the word always. That he does not obey God only in part, but is entirely and unreservedly devoted to his service. Wherefore, if we desire to enjoy the same presence of God, our whole reason, our whole being, our whole mind must be subjected to his authority. For if our senses hold the government to any degree, all our exertions will be fruitless, because the blessing of God will not be on them. And though for a time we may be delighting with joyful prospect of success, yet the final result will be dismal. Jesus Christ, the life-giving light of the world, isn't calling you to perfection, but he's calling you out of this dismal experience of partial devotion to God into a life that is entirely and unreservedly devoted to obeying God with your whole life. Jesus wants all of you, not just part of you. Don't give Jesus just part of you or you hold and reserve things to your own. Jesus wants all of you. And so I ask you to consider this. Where in your life right now are you not following Jesus wholeheartedly? Where are you holding things back? Where are you experiencing this dismal experience of partial devotion to the Lord? Coram Deo is a church family where it's okay to acknowledge these things. It's okay to be honest about these parts of our lives where we can confess and turn from those things and be restored to a beautiful, wholehearted, unreserved devotion to the Lord. And we must remember that we are not alone in this. 
For Jesus says in the first half of John, 29, uh, John 8, verse 29, He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Thus, we are not alone either. When we follow Jesus, he fills us with his Holy Spirit to empower us to walk in Jesus' way, to, to guide us as we strive to follow him wholeheartedly. For Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. When we have the spirit of God in us, we become like Jesus. John is telling us in John 8 that Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 5 that you are the light of the world. Imagine those four giant candelabras that were lit at the Feast of Booths in the, in the temple, filling all of Jerusalem with light. It's like Jesus is likening his followers to living, breathing vessels of light that push back the darkness with the light of Jesus. He continues in verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world and he has illuminated the truth for us. He has shown us, he has shed light on the Father for us. He's shown us the truth of our human condition without him and he illuminates the way to live. So come. Follow him. Trust him. Come out of darkness and into his light. Live into his light. And when you do, he will fill you up with his illuminating light. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit so that a world that's lost in darkness can see Jesus and give glory to God, our Father, who is in heaven. Let us pray together and ask for his grace in this. Heavenly Father, you are true, you are good, you are merciful, and it is in you alone that we trust. For you have not left us alone in the cold, you have not left us alone to navigate the dark, but you have come to us with the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Lord, you bring us warmth and comfort and guide us. You have brought us salvation in your Son. So there is much joy to be had when we follow you, Lord. For the scriptures say that the paths of God are steadfast love and faithfulness. We desire to experience your love, Father. We desire to experience your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit of God, grant us the grace to live as light. Loving his truth, communing with the Father, turning from sin, and enjoying walking with you from now until the day you return, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.